At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on VSIN. Lombardi Line Vista and the Sports Betting Network were presented by BetMGM. Hope you're having a good it's Friday as we head into championship weekend. Of course, the two games coming up on Sunday. I'm Patrick Maher live from the Vista studios here at the South Point. Behind me, you can see the book, the South Point, South End of the Las Vegas. We're actually off the strip for those that don't know. Our broadcasts emanate Michael Lombardi there in Jersey. Michael's been to both. We emanate from the south end of the strip, then you drive, you go through the strip, and then Circa is in downtown, which would be the north end of the strip, uh, both beautiful properties. And uh, I was talking to Vinny before we walked in. He, I said, was Divisional Weekend the biggest handle you've ever seen? And he said, yes. And as we continue with the proliferation of sports betting becoming legalized, it takes away that stigma, Michael. Every weekend for every sport is going to continue to be the biggest handle across these books. That's just the way it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, it's just remarkable how teams are, you know, how these, you know, it's the perfect storm. I mean, you've got a game that's really easy to to bet on, easy to understand on how to bet on. Plus you add in the props, which we haven't even talked about for this game. And certainly the, the, the Super Bowl. I mean, when I was out in Vegas for the Super Bowl, when the Rams played the Patriots, I mean, it was incredible, the, you know, the, the, the South Point's list of all those props and, you know, people waiting to get them on, th- on Thursday before Wednesday before the Super Bowl. I don't know what day they turned them out, but it was, it was remarkable. It was really unbelievable and how much they really, uh, people love it. And it's just an easy thing to get yourself involved with. And it's so much fun to watch and it keeps your rooting interest in the game. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the props can be dangerous. And I always warn people because there's a, element of FOMO associated with props. You mentioned there's a million options and you get like, you see them and you're like, well, I I don't want to miss out on that one. I don't want to miss out on that one. And you find yourself a little too deep sometimes with the props. Um, Speaking of which I'm going to get to a couple that we didn't get to with Wes here coming up in just a bit before we do. I don't know this gentleman, so maybe you can help me, but there is buzz here in town in Las Vegas with the Raiders. Uh, Dave Zeigler. Who's a Patriot executive? Dave Ziegler. Dave Ziegler, Ziegler. Pardon me. David Ziegler. Yes. His name is tied to potentially coming here as the new GM, and uh, Josh McDaniels potentially as well as the head coach. Well, I mean, you know how I feel about Josh McDaniels. Uh, you know, I, when I was the general manager in Cleveland, working for Jimmy uh, Haslam, uh, we tried to hire Josh. He wouldn't take the job, and that's kind of been his mo since Denver. He's been he's certainly a qualified candidate. 
And I think he's learned from what happened in Denver. I think he's gone back and really has studied his career and kind of figured out where he went wrong and what he needs to do in the next gig. And then he was so close to taking the the Colts job. I mean, Eberflus, who just got the Chicago Bear job, was in place in Indianapolis because Josh put him there before he was supposed to go there after the Rams game and after the Rams' victory in the Super Bowl, which he didn't do. So for me... I think he's certainly a wonderful, qualified coach who's been through the mill, who's had, you know, really a bad experience the first time and has learned from it. And he will present himself better than most of the coaches on any list. I mean, he knows all three facets of football. He understands all three facets. He can coach the quarterback. He can develop the quarterback. And he can develop an offense that's really talented. So, you know, I, I think that that, that would be a, a home run hit for the Raiders, especially where they are as they try to rebuild their organization. I think there's no doubt. I mean, Ritz Bishachi is is probably not a candidate any longer, even though he's technically still is. He's going to take the Chicago Bear off a uh, special teams job, from what I'm told, around the National Football League. So, you know, I think this, this is fully open for McDaniels to go in and meet with Mark Davis, who he doesn't know, meet with the other people in the Raiders organization and present himself, which he will do magnificently. I mean, the first time he interviewed in front of Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the of the Browns, Haslam was all in. I mean, he was all in, ready to hire him. And of course, we only screwed it up. We decided, you know, we waited too long. And the next thing you know, we're out of it. But I, I think this is maybe the time that he's willing to take a job willing to embrace the situation and we'll see what happens. You know, certainly, you know, New England, I don't know what's going on there in terms of what's their long-term plan. You know, how long will Bill coach? No one knows, right? What is their plans when Bill's done? I think that's, that's certainly a fair question for to ask and nobody really has the answer for it. I think you put it perfectly and I'll, and I'll just reframe it as a football fan. I, we're a little confused about McDaniels. He was, what, in his 30s when he got the Denver job. Yeah. Maybe a little premature, cocky. He actually popped for a little bit there, and then it fell apart quickly. He didn't have the capacity at that time to kind of corral it. Then he goes to Indy, what was that, four years ago, Michael, and rebuffs mm -hmm. the job. You mentioned Cleveland. Mm -hmm. He probably could have had the job there. I guess the assumption would be he's the coach in wait. There in New England, a good relationship with the craft. That would be the assumption from the outside looking in. You know, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. I think the Kraft family has has allowed Bill to run this team since they made the trade for him with the Jets back after the 1999 season, and he came in in 2000. And I think that that mode of operandi, modus operandi that they went through, you know, when Bill first got there, it was still within that framework of GM works for the head coach, all those, the head coach works for the GM. As Bill has changed all that through winning and has taken over the reins, I do think when Bill leaves, I think the Kraft family will want to come in and have a different structure, a different style, which is their, certainly their right to have and a different way of procuring town, a different way of using analytics and all those things. And Jonathan, Robert Kraft's young, uh, oldest son, who's the vice chair of the team and the vice president, the president, you know, he's going to want to have a little bit more to do with the football operation side because he hasn't really been there uh, because Bill runs everything. So I, I don't think you can automatically say, yes, this is going to happen. A to A equals B equals C. I don't think that's the case. And I think for Josh, you know, he loves the quarterback, Mac Jones. I think he feels like, okay, I finally got somebody that we can build and grow with for the next 10 years. 
But also he's got to think about his career as he moves forward. Where will he be? And this is a great opportunity. I mean, the one thing about the Raider job is that this will be one of the more old-fashioned jobs you could possibly have. It's an owner who's going to allow you to run the team in the way you want to run the team and not interfere and basically say, okay, your job is to win and your job is to build this organization, is what she basically gave to Gruden. And even though it became a mess and convoluted and the stories that you hear now coming out of that building are bizarre, at to say the least, you know, the next guy, if he does it right, will have a great opportunity. I, I will say this as a better and a football fan. I When I watch Josh McDaniels, and we understand Tom Brady and the brilliance, I think he's so innovative offensively. I, like, if I had a quarterback, I would want him to, as, as far as the mentor. I, I think he'd be great. Well, well, I mean, all you have to do is ask Brady. I mean, you know, Brady, Brady I think Brady missed him on, on last Sunday. I don't mean that as a knock to Byron Leftwich, but I think he missed him helping him solve the problems. And they have developed such a great relationship and such a great rapport together that there's no doubt that, you know, that they kind of fed off one another. And if, if Josh were to ask somebody for a recommendation, whether it be Belichick or Brady, they would get the highest recommendation. And I think people that are, that are, are citing the Denver experience, you know, that's great. But what you're saying when you cite that is that he's not smart enough to learn from it. If that's what you're saying, because he is smart enough to learn from it. And the mistakes he made are there and he's aware of them. And I think when you can, when he can come over and take over an organization, you know, where he can build it the way he wants to, Denver wasn't ready to do what he wanted to do. It just, that was a bad, it was a bad fit. The owner didn't want to go in that direction and nobody in the organization wanted to go in that direction. And what, and what people don't understand about the NFL is it takes a lot to change an organization. It takes an awful lot. Ask Matt Rule. I mean, there's some things that are inherent within an organization, even when you change ownership, that takes some time to build it over. And I think ultimately in Denver, they weren't ready for that change. And, and Josh wasn't ready for the job and had no one there to really help him and stop him from doing what he needed to do. And I think you would agree, anybody in the same vocation 10 years ago to now, teacher, writer, you've gained wisdom, you've gotten better, like McDaniel's, there's no way he's even a, a modicum of what he he's a better coach now. Just having done it, it's Gladwellian. There's you know there's uh, this is where he is now. It's ten years later. No, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. But but because we are a Twitter universe, and I think Twitter has a lot to say on this stuff. I think Twitter has a lot to say on on all these things. I think you know they want to be able to handle this. Uh, they want to be able to have a voice, and, and, and owners actually listen to the Twitter crowd, you know, uh, because <laughs> it's they crazy. do. I, think I know, I know. It's, it's insane. It's I mean, that, like, you know, and so there is that. And, and I think that, you know, people that are willing to say that, you know, he was a disaster in Denver, well, I, I can go through a lot of guys that were bad in their first jobs, including the people that are tweeting. You know, and if you don't learn from it, you know, people say, well, Belichick was bad in Cleveland. Nobody really understands what happened in Cleveland. I mean, in 1994, we're 11 and 5. We lost three times to the Pittsburgh Steelers, who were a good team. You know, we couldn't beat them in the playoffs. We weren't better than they were. But the next year, the guy moved the team on us. I mean, it took three years to build it. We had to go through the Kozar era. And then once we did that, the team was really good. <laughs> Twitter. Um, the last one. Oh, speaking of Twitter, when you were uh, GMing and when you were an executive, did you have hype videos? Do you see what's happening with the Giants 
and the Bears, and now I just saw it with Nathaniel Hackett in Denver. Wherever these guys go, they're being followed by crews, so you can put out 10-second clips on social of hyping up. Like, here he is getting off a plane. It's all changed so much. It's really wild, isn't it? It's all about the brand, you know, it's, and that's what we're trying to sell. Brand. It's it's the election. We're trying to sell the election. We're trying to, you know, it's not about it's not about you know being selected. It's about being elected. You know, I saw Joe Joe Sheen. I think that's how you say his name. The Giants. I saw him get out of his Jeep. I mean, that was thrilling for me. Yeah, but going he was, to work. He was hella good at getting out of his car. I'll give yeah, him credit. Like if he get, if he GMs like he exits cars, that's dude's beautiful. Gonna kill it's a beautiful it. thing. G men are back. Uh, so we've got comparisons. We, our buddy Steven wants us to do some comparisons as far as the championship weekend. We'll get to that next here at Lombardi Line. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. to the Lombardi line on VSEN featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now once again, here's Patrick Maher. All right, it's winner's hottest race in horse racing. It's down at Gulfstream Park right outside of Miami. All right, it's three million bucks, the Pegasus World Cup. Sign up. First bet using that promo code Vegas25 to get $25. They've upped the ante a little bit here. 25 bucks for instantly signing up. Visit vsin.com slash horses to sign up. If you're a horse racing fan, First Bet is a place for you. Visit vsin.com slash horses to sign up for the Pegasus World Cup. We're going to do a little on the Pegasus tomorrow on the Lombardi line. Nick's Go is going to go off as your favorite. Beautiful gray horse as we welcome you back. Have you, uh, Patrick, have you made a bet on that one? I have, have, not, you, have, you got I have not bet it yet. I'm going to cap it tonight, but I do love Nick's Go. I was going to work on it today, too, yeah. Yeah, Nick's Go is just a gorgeous, it's a horse that kind of, it's weird with horses. You know, when the horses run in the Kentucky Derby, at three, they're kids. Think of them as like a yeah. high school senior. And then they ex- they exponentially grow. So from three to four, Michael, it's like going from an athlete at 18 to an athlete at 24. So just one year wow. for horses. So there's that much of a progression and just maturity and physiologically with these horses. So this one 
I think Nix goes a f five or six year old horse at this point, and he is just dominant. And when he was a three year old, a two year old, he wasn't he wasn't what he is now. So some of these horses, and it just shows you like a Justify or American Pharaoh or the horses in the Triple Crown series you grew up with back in the day. It just shows you just how special they are at that age and differing fields uh, to be able to ha put together that five week test over the Triple Crown. And as they get older and they keep winning, does this help their stud fees oh, go up, 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 oh, and up? You just nailed it. It, it, is, it yeah. is. And that's why there's always this fine dance of when to re retire to stud or keep running. Because to your point, Nick's go, who's probably entrenched as far as the stud fee at this point. But if he goes out and lays an egg and the Pegasus, well, then does that does that hamper? Like, you want to retire on a high. You want to go out on a high. Yeah. It's kind of what we've been talking about with Brady. Like, many believe yeah. with Brady, if he, had he won this year, well, what would be the point in running it back? Had he lost this year, he's going to run it back. You know, there's just the same assumption there with some of the football players right. as well. You know, but the one thing about Brady is, as we segue from football, as horse racing to football, I think with Brady, you know, to go back, you have to be fully prepared to climb that mountain because Brady starts at the base camp. And for him, I mean, he's probably in Costa Rica now or somewhere, you know, taking some time off, which he deserves. But at some point, he's going to come back and start at base camp and have to climb Everest. And that climb is what he's probably debating. It isn't about, do I go out as a winner? Do I go out as a Super Bowl champ? What do I do? It's, can I make the climb one more time? Can I put my family behind, but, uh, off to the side one more year while I climb this mountain again? Because for Brady, it's never about, well, I'm just going to go down a base. I'm going down a couple couple hundred meters and then I'll just rest here at this camp. No, I mean, he's all in at, and he's climbing from the start, which requires nine hours of sleep, yeah. constant workouts, time away from your family, no vacations, going to Montana, bringing people in to throw the football with. It, it's an enduring life. And although it's been endearing, it's still enduring. I don't think he's posturing when he talks about his wife no. wanting, like he's been saying this for years. And I think as a 44 year old man, he's starting to look at it a little differently. May I ask you this? You mentioned how much the affinity he has for Josh McDaniels. Bruce Arians is a human being and his coaching staff is a human are human beings as well. So Brady has a conscience. If Brady wanted to run it back, do you think he may prefer at this point doing it with somebody else? Cause there did seem to be a bit of an odd vibe around the bucks this time around. And some of the players mentioned that. Yeah, I think there was an eye vibe. I don't think there was, I don't think there was a lot of, of, of comfortability or handling the winning, you know, I think that's the hardest challenge. I've said this about, and I think Las Vegas is another city like this. I think there's a couple, few cities in this league, in the national football league where you have to be very careful about what kind of players you bring in and how you handle it. And I think the Raiders have had this problem. Las Vegas certainly with so much to do, right? For a young, wealthy man, yes. there's a lot of things to do. At Tampa, Atlanta, Miami, the, New Orleans. These are, there's a lot of things to do in these towns. That's why people vacation there. You know, not in Atlanta as much, but they, that's why they go there. So you've got to be able to really get people that are going to place football ahead of all else. And, and sometimes that, that's a challenge. And there's such a young team. You know, I've seen this when we won the Super Bowl in 84 when I was with the 49ers. There was always this permeating feeling going through our building that all we need to do is get back in the dance. Once we get in, we'll win it, which is so far from the truth. So far from the truth. It starts at base camp. 
And if you don't start it there and build yourself up, you're just never going to be ready for the, tro- the total fight. And I think that's what happened to the Bucks As well as they played, they really, the injuries and the, the losses and all the things that happened, they weren't the same team. Totally. They got worse as the year went on this year as opposed to last year. They improved in the second half. Which does tell you, and it happened with the Warriors as well, but what Belichick's done with the Patriots, I, newsflash, it's amazing to keep that hunger for 20 straight they, Look at the Bucks couldn't do it for two straight years. It's amazing well, to keep that going. Look at Andy Reid. I mean, look at Andy Reid. I mean, this will be his fourth conference championship game in a row. I mean, it's just, and, and I think you measure your career by that. Now, yes, he has a great player in Mahomes, and yes, he has a great player in Tyreek Hill, and yes, he has a great player in, in Travis Kelsey, but still to get back here. Now, you know, he is very fortuitous because with 13 seconds, he shouldn't be here. The streak should have ended. I'm sorry, Stephen Bond. I don't want to bring the memory back for you, but it should have ended. I mean, it took a miracle. It took a miracle. You know, it's funny. I was reading the other day, and I was doing research on, on Buffalo. And, you know, when, when the miracle in the, in the meta, not the Meadowlands, the, the, the pass in Tennessee, when the owner, Ralph Wilson fired about four people after that game. He was bitter. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, I do. He was bitter. Frank Wycheck, stand up. <laughs> yeah. Right? Was it Dyson yeah. or Wycheck? Yeah, I believe it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was. I mean, I can remember I was walking into the Raider facility. I thought the game was over. I was going to work. I was wa- I was going back to my desk. I was walking past the cat, and I saw, and I'm like, oh, my God. I know. How did that happen? Did you think in real time you know, it was legit? I thought it was close. I thought it was really close. It was close. as close as you it know. could possibly get. I remember I, I like thought, it was yesterday. Know, it was so close, you know, and then, you know, it, it, came, it came through. But I think those are – you know, the, these whole things about oh, people we'll get, get fired again next year. People get fired off those. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you watch the tape of the Buffalo Kansas City game and you watch the final 13 seconds, you're left more confused when you watched it live than when you watch it on the after you watched than when, when you watched it live, you're and, more confused. And I think McDermott owes that fan base because he was dismissive after, you know, this one's going to hurt. No, Sean, it's going to hurt the, the Buffalo fan that's been a fan for 40 years, that's been through the four Super Bowls prior, now goes through the pain again to just kind of dismiss it. He'll get over it once, you know, these coaches, they move past things quickly. He's not a native Buffalo dude. Like our buddy Stephen Bond and during the break, Break and we'll let him comment on this. He said it was what the second worst loss in history in, in that franchise's history. What did you say about the Bucks' loss with 13 seconds ago, Stephen? I chalked it up to I think this is the second worst loss in the history of the franchise. First is wide right. There's no doubt about it. You win a Super Bowl with that kick. This to me is the second worst loss. The other three Super Bowls, they're blowouts. They don't belong in the game. Clearly, the last two with Dallas, they didn't belong in the game. They were outmatched. Mm-mm. I think this is the second worst loss. And Patrick, to your point, I thought you made an excellent point here. McDermott hasn't said anything. There wasn't an, hey, this was on me. It was just, we're going to look at it. Well, that's not, that doesn't satisfy a fan base that thought this is our Super Bowl year. Well put, especially uh, uh, Stephen and Michael, a fan base that's as provincial to use that word again. I mean, the Western New York, this, that, they are the Bills. I mean, that is like, he owes them because that was mismanagement to a degree. There were so many things you could pick apart with the head coaching, even if, uh, you know, he said he had the squib on it, please. Well, I mean, the fact they called two timeouts in a row to, to basically get his defense set to allow Kelsey to run down the seam. I don't, that, that wasn't an execution problem. I mean, you call timeout 
to fix your defense once you saw them get the ball. You called timeout to make sure everybody was on the same page. Look, I think you got to own it. I think Sean's got to own it. I said, look, it was horrible. It's never going to happen again. I own it. It's on me. I, I, I was in charge. I mean, look, you know, it, the more you own it, the more you embrace it, the, the, the quicker it'll slide away from you. But if you continue to say it was an execution problem, which means the player, it's on the players, it's not on you, I don't think the players looked like they were doing anything wrong on the tape. I think they were doing exactly what they were told to do, which was messed up, which is what they shouldn't have been doing. They should have been jamming the receivers. They should have, they should have been rushing four, rush three, get them to hold the ball as long as he wants. Who cares? Every second he t- – there's 13 of them. You only need 13 seconds left to go. I mean, watch the Chiefs' faces of their players when they walk off the field, the body language of their team when they walk off the field after Bass makes the extra point. I, I think, mean, it's yes. I think your point was well was awesome. Yes, I think they were playing. It it it, it is miraculous. It second worst. Yeah, I guess the three were blowouts, and then wide right. Uh, yeah, I mean, in that game, what's funny is you know I've gone back and spent a lot of time on that game because of Andre Reid and because of all that. I mean, you know that they're. Thurman Thomas was great, but they didn't get the plays in that game. They just didn't make the plays they needed. And the, the Giants controlled the ball. The K-Gun. Regular season was just awesome. Post- Who was the K-Gun named after? That's the key question. We'll come back you know? with that answer next here at Lombardi Mike. Listening to the Lombardi Line on VSEN, featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. Okay, the all-important betting splits. Michael and I have been talking about them for three years, and now you can find them at VSEN.com. Before you make your next bet, be sure to check out VSEN.com for current betting splits data. Of course, is it data? The new feature gives you insights on where the money and bets are moving for every game. Data is available for the money line over/under. That's the total. Against the spread bets, everything's there, vcin.com. Okay, before we welcome in Josh, conversation continued about the K-Gun, the famous Buffalo. Man, that Buffalo team. You know why I was bitter about Buffalo? Because Barry Sanders and uh, Thurman Thomas, obviously, both were Oklahoma State Cowboys. I didn't like Thurman because people were trying to pretend like he was on the level of Barry. Nobody ever will be or has been Barry Sanders. However, Thurman was great, and they ran a specific K-Gun styled offense. Who was it named after Michael Lombardi? Keith McKellar, the tight end. Keith McKellar was a really athletic, fast tight end. You know, people identify Metzelars as the tight end for the Bills, and he was a very good player. But the, the origin of the name came from McKellar's, which is Keith McKellar's K, which meant he was the tight end, K-Gun, and we were going to be in shotgun. And then they went all in on it. You know, earlier Earlier in football, before the K-Gun, really the K-Gun auditioned in December, I think December of 80, of 1990, the 89, excuse me, December of 89 in a game against Philadelphia. That was the, that was the, the premiere of the K-Gun, and it was really a combination of the sugar huddle from Cincinnati, which Sam White invented, where he would have everybody at the line of scrimmage kind of close, and then he would get the team, as soon as he felt like they would go and run the play, this was Kelly going to run the operation from, the, from, the, from shotgun, which is like what we see today, yeah. which wasn't prevalent back during the time, 
and then he went off and threw the ball and, and made plays. But I think more than anything, it was Thomas that made it go and certainly was James Lofton on the outside. Oh, yeah. Lofton's ability to be outside allowed Reed to have his ability to make plays inside. That was a, an era, you know, Miles Davis in the run and shoot. That was an era where offenses really started to tinker and try to figure out how are we going to expand? How are we going to do things a little bit differently as opposed to yep. just dive plays? And no, fascinating. Okay, Josh joins us. And Josh, that was a little football lesson for you, my friend, as we say <laughs> hi. Market Insights is the pod, Betting Across America. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing great, guys. Uh, number one, get ready for a huge snowstorm if you're like me in Boston. We're supposed to get about three I didn't feet hear of about snow. This. Tell me about this. What's yeah, happening? Michael, I, I heard down in in, uh, in Jersey you might be getting hit pretty hard too. So fingers crossed we don't lose power. If we lose power and I have to miss these football games on Sunday, we're in big trouble, guys. So fingers crossed that we survive this big snowstorm coming. Yeah, it is going to be. Well, we're we, we're trying to figure out logistically how we're going to get my man on TV tomorrow. He might he might <laughs> yeah. be doing it from his bed. He might be doing be a sledding. vertical. He's gonna be chilling. Gonna, no, I won't be vertical, but I'll be I'll be in my office. Horizontal, I mean. I mean. Just, yeah, every 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 uh, every report keeps getting this thing moved up quicker, and and it becomes, you know, it's like, and it's you would think some of these things are fast moving. Not that we're the Weather Channel here, but it seems like once it gets going, it's not going to stop for a long time. No, it's going to be brutal. As a new homeowner, Josh, have you been shoveling, or do you? I know you're kind of bougie, so you may pay somebody to do that. But have you been? Uh, <laughs> Uh, have you been taking care of it or is Elise doing it? Uh, we're, so tomorrow it's a joint effort, guys. We're going to need all the all the help we can get here. But I would say let her, let her chill. You do it. I know. Seriously. Joint Shout out to effort. our neighbor, though, who really hooked it up. He had a snowblower and helped us out, Patrick. So I might call you guys in and give us a hand. But um, I was thinking, guys, maybe we could run through some prop bets today, see if Michael has a lean on either of these. Yes, some interesting please. data across the market. Um, just in terms of, you know, what the lines are looking like, guys, we're pretty much staying static here. Still looking at, you know, Kansas City juiced up opening seven. They look like they're going to seven and a half again. If you like the Bengals, you're probably going to get the hook here pretty soon. Uh, still movement to the over, although it did get up to 55, get hit up with a little bit of under money back down to 54 and a half. And then in that second game, still juicing up San Fran plus three and a half and looking at that under there, 47 down to 45 and a half. But in terms of props, Michael, I'll throw the first one at you. Tyler Higby, some interesting data on the tight end there for the Rams uh, for Sunday's game. His over under on receiving yards open at 39 and a half and immediately got hit up to 41 and a half. So sometimes these players that are not the big names, but kind of these players down the list, the public isn't, you know, clamoring to bet Higby over. It looks like some respected money came on the Higby over. Uh, you look at uh, his numbers here. He's went over this number in four straight games. His targets have been ticking up here. He went for three for 46 against Arizona, four for 51 against Tampa Bay. And in that week 18 loss to San Francisco, he caught six for 55. So Michael, what do you think this movement to the Higby over? Can he get us 42 yards or more on Sunday? Well, I think he's a vital part of their offense, you know, and I think he, he creates, you know, he catches tight end screens. He catches a lot of the things on third down, you know, and in a zone game, you know, the underneath coverage is going to be easily attacked uh, and then he's going to have to make some plays. So I do think he will be an option for them. I think it depends on what they end up doing. They move cup around so much in the zone, and I think it's going to be interesting what D'Amico Ryans does as he changes up his defense, you know, and changes up what he's trying to do, especially on third and long where he got beat last time they played 10 for 15, much like the Tennessee game with the 49ers. So for me, I, I think Higby is the number two option after, after Cooper Cup. I don't think it's going to be Beckham as much because I think they're going to try to keep the ball in the middle of the field. Higby 
little underrated. He's he was a good find for them. I think good a fourth player. fourth rounder, a little more speed yep, than you think. Player. He can he can pick up that forty yarder in one swoop. Oh, they they trust him. You know, they trust him, and and he you know they have a lot of things for him in the in the, in the offense, and he gets you know he's always going to get somewhere between let's say you know the most targets he had all season was ten against Tennessee, but he's going to have a lot. The last time they played, he had eight targets and six catches. You know, in the first game they played, he had five targets and only three catches. So he will get targets. There's no denying that. Yep. And if he gets those targets, he could cross over that threshold of the yardage. Yeah, these, these tight ends are crazy athletes these days. Josh, what's the next one you want to throw at us? Yeah, so next one up, I think Michael just said he kind of leaned OBJ maybe under, but we did see some OBJ over money come in. Uh, he opened at 50 and a half receiving yards. He's up to 52 and a half. You know, that could be maybe both a, a pro and Joe type game because OBJ, obviously a flashy name that the public can identify with and wants to bet over. But he has been playing pretty well recently, becoming a trusted target of Stafford against Tampa Bay. He caught six for 69 against Arizona, four for 54. So that total there, 50 and a half receiving yards, been bet up to 52 and a half. So maybe some OBJ money coming in. But, Michael, here's one uh, I'd love to get your take on. Joe Mixon. Uh, seen some money come in on his under rushing yards. It opened at um, at a couple different shops, uh, 61 and a half. It's in bet down to 56 and a half. It's kind of tough to take the under now as, as you miss some, you know, equity in the line here. But really some under money coming in. Only 53% of bets on the under, but 75% of money. And if you look at kind of what we've seen out of Mixon recently, remember he had a great regular season, over 1,200 yards, 4.1 yards a carry. Over the last couple games, 14 for 54 against Tennessee, averaged 3.9 a carry, 17 for 48 against Vegas, 2.8. And in that Week 17 game against Kansas City, he rushed 12 for 46. So he would have gone under all these numbers here. Michael, what do you expect out of Mixon this weekend? And do you think this smart money leaning under uh, is predictive here? Well, I think if you just watch the Bengals' offensive line play, you, you, they have a hard time getting him any any open lanes. And against this matchup, it's going to be really challenging. He's going to have to be in nickel runs. I mean, there's just no way he's going to be in a base formation, which they won't be in anyway because they're an 11 personnel team. But out of nickel runs, that you've got to be able to block the edges and block the support. I, I think it's going to be a long day for Mixon. You know, for him to break one of these runs, particularly against this front, you know, with Clark and Reed and Chris Jones inside, I think it's really going to be a challenge. And if they get behind in the game, Mixon's going to need to use his receiving skills more than his run skills. Yeah, clean graphics there. Good job, Stephen, and everybody downstairs. Props, we'll have plenty of them this weekend as well. Um, Josh, on the way out here, we wanted, it's, it's what, 11 games in the association tonight. Wanted to get a couple quick plays in. One, you're going to start with the Celtics down in Atlanta. Open 2-1 now with Atlanta laying it. Yeah, seeing some movement coming in here on the Celtics, guys. You know, again, as Patrick, you mentioned, a lot of these books open at two. Uh, it was kind of a line freeze early this morning. I grabbed the plus two just thinking, hey, you know, public's kind of split, slightly leaning Atlanta. Atlanta's been hot recently, but Celtics coming off a big blowout win, and they're kind of turning their season around a little bit, hovering around 500. A maddening team if you watch the Celtics on a daily basis. But, guys, this latest move, pretty meaningful. That two down to one tells me that, again, tickets somewhat split. Line shouldn't move at all, yet this thing is going down toward Boston. We were banking on here, uh, rest advantage with the Celtics last played the 25th versus the 26th for Atlanta also defensively big discrepancy here Celtics are fourth in defensive efficiency Atlanta is 27th so lines moving to the Celtics I look at the Celtics and the points here then Michael any lean on your favorite team the Miami Heat here big move or not a big move but <laughs> you got notable. it right this time Josh good job he yeah, hey, I learn. I make mistakes. I don't make them twice in a row, hopefully. But <laughs> minus seven up to seven and a half, Michael. Heat uh, been playing great at home, and they're playing a Clippers team a little tired here. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't really studied as much as the NBA as, as I need to, Josh. So, I mean, I'll go with your line movement. I have no idea. The NBA, to me, is such a hard predictor, especially after these games. And, you know, my, my focus has been. But if you like the Miami Heat, I've always liked the Heat. I'm rooting for them. <laughs> here, here, here's the question I have for you, Josh. Uh, in Memphis, and Memphis has been awesome, here comes Utah. Utah's lost 9 of 11. No go bear tonight, but Donovan Mitchell. Is he in or out? Have you heard? Because the number went to five and a half off a three opener. My assumption is that means Mitchell's out. Is that fair? I think so, Patrick. Still questionable, you know, officially. But again, three up to five and a half. A red hot Grizzlies team. That's got to tell me probably he's out tonight. Okay, Josh. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you this weekend, okay? Stay safe, guys. Go shovel Michael's driveway this no, weekend. No, let Patrick. Elise chill and you shovel. <laughs> Be chivalrous with the shovel. He continues the Lombardi line. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. to the Lombardi line on VSEN featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now once again, here's Patrick Maher. BetMGM welcomes you with a special NBA offer. So this is King of Sportsbooks simply placed a $10 money line wager on any game. So tonight you bet 10 bucks on a side and then if somebody hits a three-pointer in the game, you're going to win $200 paid for in free bets. You just have to use the bonus code VSIN200, VSIN200 when you make your first bet. Plus, you'll earn M-Life rewards that can be redeemed for rooms and dining at any MGM resort. BetMGM is proud to be an authorized gaming partner of the NBA. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com. Use that bonus code VSIN200, VSIN200 to win $200 paid for in free bets. Three-pointer made. Eligibility restrictions do apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years or older. New customer offer, 1-800-GAMBLER. So as we welcome you back, and I just received the picture from my father of snow. Here's my question. <laughs> what, why, why, um, why live there? And I don't mean, I'm not trying to be flippant about this. You were a man that lived right on the beach in California, but you're from Ocean City, New Jersey. But you really are cutting, Ocean City may be a little bit different. You're cutting a solid four months of your life where you're going, you're just committed to being sedentary and cold. Is that beneficial for you as a human being, Michael Lombardi? Well, you know, the thing is, Patrick, you know, when you grow up in this industry and your kids grow up around it, you know, they, they always are in search of where is their home. And I can remember when we went to the playoffs in 1994, 
with the Browns, Belichick says to me, you know, you should buy a home where you think you might want to go for an extended period of time, retire, whatever, because your kids will always identify that as your home. And I did. And we did. And so yeah. uh, that became Ocean City. And so like, if you ask Mick, my oldest son, or Matthew, my youngest, that where they grew up, even though they were spent most of their life in the Bay Area, they would say Ocean City. And they come back to Ocean City as their home. So I think it's more of that. It's, gotcha. a, it's a natural feel. If I, if I bought a home in Charleston, for example, where Bill Berman's very big, by the way, if I bought a home there, I mean, who's going to come visit me there? You know, I mean, they don't really so have it's a any... base. Your your base. You have a symbolic yeah. base and for the I, family. And, you know, and I would love to go spend time in Florida at Sarasota for for four months out of the year. You know, but unfortunately, not unfortunately, but I do like what I do for a living, so I'm required to be here, and it limits travel. I mean, if I if I was just writing books and could go anywhere, I certainly would think about going to Florida for uh, an extended period of time in the off season because it, it makes sense. Now, I don't know if Bella would want to join me because she hates the heat, but, you know, we would go down there when it was a little milder. No, I think the symbolism of ha the base for the family, what you said about your sons who spent probably most of their – you know, younger and teenage years up in the Bay, but they still consider their base yeah. to be Ocean City. I think that's important for a family. You know, I, I had an uncle who I loved to death who passed away a couple years ago, actually on the 26th, uh, four years ago now. He was 92. And he had, and he grew, he grew up here. He went, he went on to become a principal up in Long Island. And when he retired from, from his job in Long Island, he moved to a town called Ocean Grove, which is, 90, which is 60 miles north of here. And all of his kids didn't really want to go back because they, they didn't even know anything about Ocean Grove. Like they, they, really, they, they didn't identify with it. So they, the, the visitations weren't as, 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 as consistent. Whereas the, my cousins all said to me, you know, if he'd have bought a house in Ocean City, we'd have gone there and see him every summer. Yeah. Now, I lived in Charleston from 02 to 05. Is that when was Berman living there? Hey, well, he's been the mayor there. Oh, he just claims for, things. Think, he's claimed Georgia. He claims yeah. Charleston, but he's never actually he's lived got Georgia or been now. there. He's got, gotcha. I mean, look, gotcha. it, Tom Cream with a big win against Alabama the other night. Where do you think that came from? <laughs> I mean, where do you think that came from? Not I mean, Berman. I'm just saying. That's where. I'm just saying. <laughs> just, to, just to give you a clue, not from Bill Berman. <laughs> so he just, I like that he claims Charleston. I thought he lived there, but he just likes it. No, he loves it. He didn't yes. ask him for anything. I mean, you know, you know, two things I think you can get. If anybody wants to travel, Follow Bill Berman on Twitter. If you want advice on Disney or Charleston, please text to tweet to him. Or you He'll can check in you. with somebody that actually lived there. You can hit me up. I, I'll tell you about well, Charleston, yeah. too. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Or, you know, and I, I heard he's on the, uh, you know, our boy uh, Jick Jack Johnson. Him and Carl did a, did, did a pod the other day. So I can't wait to hear from that. One more with your boy Jick Jack. One, And I think that's an, uh, that alludes to maybe having another cocktail. Is that what it is? It could be. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, think it no, is. It's not now or, when, Patrick. Or, another, or another serving of that Thai yeah. food that he loves so much. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> hey, great answer on the base because I, 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 the more I talk about my family living in Michigan, there is something about that's where you're from, even though I don't yeah. want to go back and live there. It, that is yeah. still uh, to your point yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, a base. I think it's just it's just you have it, and certainly the the timing of your life changes all these things. And if you know, since I'm not retired, there's you know I can't go anywhere, and and so I have to endure the weather. And I don't really mind it as much. I actually like Ocean City in the off season. I love the fall here. Oh yeah. And I and I and I do like the build up to summer here. 
And and the summer is probably my least favorite time because it's too crowded. Where would, given true serum, if you said to Millie, you could pick anywhere, where would you go? That That's a great question because there's very little, you know, there's very little areas of Florida that I really absolutely love. I love Sarasota and some of the Tampa area, you know, that I've been part of, that I've seen along the beach, Longboat Key and those places. So, you know, I don't know enough about the whole place. I know Parcells is over in Jupiter. Ron Wolf's over in Jupiter. We went and spent some time with Ron Wolf, you know, over in Jupiter. That looks really like oh, a nice gorgeous. place. But, you know, I, I don't know enough. I love the Keys, but I've never really, li- you know, you have to live somewhere for a little while to really get comfortable in your environment. Yeah, totally. The Jupiter, there's some, now that is, that's Tiger. There are some exclusive areas down there. Now, you could afford it, but the rest of yeah, us, right. we'd be trying. Hey, I l- got to keep working, Patrick. I got to keep working. <laughs> no, you, nobody grinds like you, man. You're writing books. You're hosting shows. Let's throw, uh, let's throw this graphic up just for fun. I, I think it would shock some people to see it visually, just how yeah. accomplished Burroughs year was. I mean, this, this is all behind maybe the worst offensive line in football. It's a pass. You know, I had somebody pro. I had because I've been ripping span. I had somebody in the league send me this video of span playing. And I mean, it's just bad. And then they sent me his pro football focus. He's like one of he's the top 23rd offensive. Like, it's just bizarre. It's bizarre. And, you know, people are great. How people grade these players is bizarre. I know this. He will struggle. And let me just put this in context for you. So we all understand it. Joe Burrow over his first two seasons in the National Football League. And this is somewhat remarkable, right? I mean, this is somewhat remarkable when you when I say it this way. You know, over the last 16, you know, when he has played, he has been sacked more than when David Carr was sacked. Think about that. With David he, Carr wow. was sacked with the Houston Texans. You know, when he was sacked with the Houston Texans. He was, you know, he I think he got sacked 93 times. Okay, in his David Carr's first 28 starts with the Texans, he was sacked 93 times. In Joe Burrows, has been sacked 94 times in his first 28 starts, including these last two playoff games. And we know those sacks really destroyed Carr's eye level, lowered it down, and became a problem. Burrows has been sacked as much, and yet his eye level remains really high, which to me is remarkable. Yeah, he is... That's a, I did not realize because that year has become so famous for Carr being sacked and kind of shaking him. You know, that's a great point that you bring up. Whether or not he was ruined by that experience, it certainly hasn't affected Burrow. Burrow not only was hit in his rookie year, tore up his ACL, he comes back, he's hit more than anybody, and his numbers are outrageous. Yeah, I mean, it's just, and, you know, look, the one thing is when you play a team the second time, you know, if you're Steve Spagnuolo, you got to say, look, we're going to have to double this guy. We're going to have to take our chances with Higgins. We're going to take our chances with Boyd. We're going to have to take our chances with the tight ends and all that. However, we can't take our chance with Chase. We're going to have to have a high-low relationship with him. We're going to have to be able to double him and jam him. And we're going to have to keep the quarterback from throwing the ball out quickly. And that's what Tennessee did. And Tennessee really played great defense against them. I mean, they really did. They gave up the quick hitch out there. The, the, The defensive back didn't make the tackle, which is problematic. And then, you know, they, they had the one drive at the end, at the beginning of the first half. They scored 10 points in the middle eight, which were the points. And then, then of course, the Titans just were very giving, and they gave the, him the game because they three interceptions, lose the ball on downs. I mean, turn the ball over in the red zone, which is something they hadn't done. I mean, Tennessee played out of character. Yeah. 
if and we're going to go through these props. I just want to throw one just to finish up the conversation on Burrow and just get your first blush. The passing yard prop for Burrow set at 290 and a half. 290, I, we may have a different number on our graphic, but in different books, 290 and a half for Burrow. Your first reaction is? Uh, I'm going to go under. Okay. Because I don't think he's going to be able, I think if you're Spagnola, you've got to say to yourself, this is not a complicated game plan, fellas. If we don't let the ball get thrown over our head and we tackle this guy and he doesn't win a jump ball, they're going to struggle to put eight, nine, ten plays together in a row because their offensive line is so bad. Like the more we, the more third downs we put them in, the better chance we have. Get barbershop Mike, whoever needs to throw a hail, hail Mary at St. Aquinas. He's, a, he's all good. Because tomorrow. They're closing restaurants now, Patrick. They're closing. They've closed all hey the man, restaurants. We now. need Everybody's you tomorrow. Home. We somehow get to the I'll office be tomorrow. I'll be there. I'll be there. Patrick. Say a couple Don't of Hail Marys, Michael. Rain, snow, sleet, or hail. <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow morning. Odds on is next. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.